With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, don't get us wrong. There's still going to be plenty of randomness to the show. Of course. But, that's, that's the name of the show. The other, other name is off topic. But this is football. What you want? We got a mild condition, but it makes your rage listen. Our voice is about the games. And you know we talk about the latest joints, more so than any other. And our mountain weather matters. Well, will you? You listen to this podcast too. We hope so, maybe. <laughs> I'm not going to sing to it, folks. Here it is. <laughs> All right, we're back. Mountain West Connection. Football, not March Fadness, not basketball, but... Do you hear that little buzzing? What's that about? Maybe that's just my headphones being weird. Matt, you, you, you with me? We good? That might, be my, that might be my ceiling fan. I apologize in advance for that. No, we're good. It was, it was like a static buzz. We're good. Hey, we're not super professional, but we're here back. Football. Check out our March Fadness podcast as well because it'll be relevant for years to come, right? It's still going, by the way, for anybody who wants to go check it out, either on Twitter or at MarchFadness.com. I'm still outraged that Macarena lost in round one. Oh, I saw that. I'm like, oh, the Macarena. It's, I think there's more hatred than love for it, right? <laughs> I think people forgot just how much of a juggernaut it was, but I'm, I mean, I like stereo MCs, but I'll, I'll set that aside for now so we can talk some football. We'll talk football. We may do a um, follow-up to that podcast later on once it's over just to see how we did because that was fun. Yeah. But as we're talking football here, our website, if you don't know, you should know if you found it, mwcconnection.com is where we're at, and also uh, Twitter, Facebook. We were planning doing Facebook Live, but apparently um, one of the programs we use – or was going to use and no longer has support for a Mac. So I'm scrambling to find something new. So if you know a program that works well to record audio over both computers using OBS, shoot me a tweet or DM. We'll, we'll talk free program, preferably right. Or cheap. <laughs> Whatever works. Whatever. Not super expensive, but football here. There's for being March. Yes. March madness. So we'll see if there's a d- 10 people who listen to this. Cause it's a boss championship weeks going on today. And all week long, obviously, March uh, tournament. But there's surprisingly a lot of news for this time of year with spring football. Normally spring's like, eh, whatever. But, no, we got plenty of news to talk about. And we could probably do multiple shows, but we're not tonight on this, at least. The smart people know the football season never really ends, though. There's a slight lull in between signing day and depending when spring starts, but that's about it. It's gearing that's, up. Why we, that's why we did March Fatness, right? Yeah. <laughs> That was a little reason behind it because first week of February and then nothing. Unless you're Duke and start before signing day, not much happens in college football. <laughs> that you don't make up yourself, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So here's where we're going to start today. There's a little bit of news. Um, Should we give a round of applause to the Colorado State Rams? I think we should. Is it So what is the reason for uh, this um, endeavor to happen? New stadium? connections to the conference from the head coach or what do you think it is that is they it, landed a Arkansas home and home I we should probably say is it fair to say it may be a little bit of both 
Could be. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter earlier. It was Stephen Godfrey, I believe, who said that Fort Collins was the road trip that you never knew you needed to make. And I think that, you know, for an enterprising team in the Power Five, you know, going to Colorado State for a game is, you know, it's kind of like going to Boise. You're kind of like coming to Fresno. Like, it's not an easy place to go and play. So it's a credit to you know, Mike Bobo and the staff there at Colorado State that they were able to, you know, schedule this kind of opponent. It, it is for sure. And this is the, uh, well, a couple of things, like Stephen Goffers also, if you should just find it, he went to Wyoming a couple years ago. Go read that. It's a pretty good long read. To, I'm assuming that was the trip he made, Fort Collins, up to uh, Laramie mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But go check that. But what they're doing, also, some people are like, oh, I feel bad for Arkansas because this game replaces a uh, home-and-home with Michigan. <laughs> and so I you'd probably would rather play Michigan, but good for CSU. And this is also, if you don't know, second time ever an SEC school has been to Fort Collins. That seems surprising. I thought it would have been at least a handful of times. 1981 Mississippi State. But, you know, I guess the SEC is too busy scheduling all those FCS cupcakes to do any real traveling. You mean uh, the? Well, I just gotta have a good name because it's what is it? Uh, it's in. It's gonna make some turkey joke because it's usually in um, November when they do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's usually the week before the big rivalry games. Let's schedule. Let's see who's at mainstay. Citadel, Chattanooga. Used to be coastal Carol. Used to be coastal Carolina, Florida A and M. Those type of schools. Oh yeah. And so these games, I have the. I don't have the correct schedule up here. When do they play? Because I just have the tweet from McMurphy up here. Isn't it 2021, uh, I believe? I, I did not take a look at that. Oh, I uh, had it right here. 2019. So ah, okay. Back to back year. So it's good. Like this, it's obviously it's good for them to uh, get a, our Arkansas there. They're not the best SEC team, but it's still better than playing uh, Vanderbilt. That's true. Who did make a trip to Logan to play Utah State a couple years ago. Also true. <laughs> Very true. There's a bunch of scheduling stuff, so let's kind of power through this because it's got to be kind of a we got to put make the show tight a little bit. Not to say an hour is not tight for what we do, but we can't mander on and take random questions from ESPN Albuquerque, which we may or may not get to, guys, because they want sandwich talk apparently. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that at some point, maybe not. Today. We'll see, David. And then there's Fresno. A of, there's a lot of off season. Yeah, there is your Fresno State Bulldogs. I made a inadvertent quick tweet to Oregon. Ducks are coming to town. Oh, it's Oregon State. But hey, you know what though? Not it's not it's not six straight games in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, thank God, right? <laughs> Three um, for nine or whatever it was. I believe that that puts the number of Power Five teams coming to Fresno in the next half decade at two. Isn't Minnesota the other one? Minnesota is the other one. They had Utah two two years ago, mm-hmm. and that was kind of scheduled before they moved to the Pac-12, I believe, but. And Let's just hope uh, 2014 as well. Oh, okay. That's right. So this, these games are 2022, 2024. Here's a fun question to ask you. Cause um, you do, you do know Chucky Keaton's part of that staff, right? Yes. He's a graduate assistant. I want to say. So this is a, a few years away. It's five and seven years away. Will he be on the staff and what coaching position will he have? <laughs> I do not think he'll be on the staff. And my best guess is that he'll be a quarterback's coach somewhere. Okay, by that sounds possible. He's not taking the uh, Kyle Whittingham approach to Brian Johnson. You're my QB coach right out of college. Now you're my OC two years later, like a 25-year-old OC. That was a terrible mistake. Will Gary Anderson be there, head coach? Um, I mean, given the nature of college football these days, I think the safe bet is to say no. No, good to impossible. Whether that, whether that means he's hired somewhere else or whether he is fired is another story entirely. So that's, that's one of the schedules. And one other one, Nevada and uh, Kansas State. That's yeah, pretty good. first time ever for those two. But uh, the Wolfpack are going to be going to Manhattan, Kansas, not, not New York, in yeah, 2021. Not. Yeah, I'm assuming Bill Snyder will not be the coach at that point. <laughs> um, I would not assume anything about Bill Snyder until further notice. Would he be a cyborg at that point, coaching, being no, or he's... a um, Futurama head, um, coach with just a floating head? 
No, man, he's just a wizard. He's gonna he's gonna be the head coach there forever. Isn't Colin Klein back there being the QB coach or something? That would not surprise me. I think he is at the moment, but yeah, they get a million dollar guarantee and a road game, which is whatever. Here's the thing I like about these matchups. I've said this for years. Now Kansas State has won their fair share of Big Twelve games or turn or titles, I should say. Going back to a almost a Michael Bishop, they lost to Texas A&M, but these are games where they can get money and win, because Oregon State's even even at their best, not a not like an elite team. Kansas State every now and then uh, playing. And what was the other schedule on it? What was the other game we just mentioned? Um, shoot, we mentioned three. Yeah, Fresno. No, Fresno, Oregon State, Arkansas. That's what be Arkansas CSU. None of these are juggernaut teams within their conference. Ranked every now and then, above average, a good point, good part of the time. These are games they should play because these are all winnable games. Because even if you beat the worst team who's 0-12 in the big conference, oh, you beat a power team. You Well, don't tell Western Michigan that because what they did last year, you beat three Big Ten teams, but they're not good, really. But you'll get some sort of credit for beating these teams. There's no reason... Like, Fresno's scheduling is ridiculous, those Southern California games, USC, UCLA. But playing Oregon State, playing these games, Arkansas, Nevada, um, Nevada, or not Nevada, sorry, Kansas State. Nevada has Northwestern on the schedule. These are the games they need to schedule to get paid like Nevada is. Like, there's no payment for Arkansas or the home-and-homes, but for guaranteed road games against a team that might win eight games, not they're good but not great, and winnable games, these are what you need to schedule. And every now and then... I know there's two games against Alabama this year. Who is it? Uh, Fresno and Colorado State are going to Alabama this year. Those are tough. Not going to win. But playing mid-level teams and big conferences, this is where they should be scheduling because then you can win and you'll get some respect. And, you know, not to give the uh, – you know, we talked about in the past the, the idea of a group of five playoff. I don't want to give that uh, – I don't want to give it too much credence. But if that is the kind of thing that comes into existence at some point – you know, Nevada and Colorado State and Fresno State scheduling these games with a chance to win, I think in the long run is going to be good business because, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to, I'm assuming you're going to need some kind of resume to get into that kind of playoff, you know, because five group of five teams, 14 playoff, I would assume, or something like that. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's the difference between taking like a million dollars to schedule a home and home with, Oregon State or taking a million dollars to go to Kansas State if you're in Nevada versus like taking a million and a half to go to Notre Dame or you know you like Utah State going to USC or something like that I think you want those kind of winnable games if you're trying to gauge potential futures like if that particular playoff scenario actually does come into being well not even that but just making the New Year's making a cotton bowl or orange bowl berth Exactly. Because here's the thing, like, Boise State, or not Boise, San Diego State was pretty close. That South Alabama loss obviously killed them, and then losing to Wyoming the first time around. There was a change. If you look at the rankings, they were close to where, had they not lost to South Alabama, or just say they had one loss, they might have been ahead of Western Michigan. Or Boise State at some point for a while last year was ranked ahead of Western Michigan with losses. Had Boise State won the Mountain West last year, beat Air Force that last weekend and got some help. They would have had one loss and been ahead of Western Michigan. Yeah, they beat a bad Washington State team last year, or OK Washington State team and Oregon State, but you played those teams. Well, 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 Western Michigan played three Big Ten teams. Was it just Northwestern had a winning record, I think it was? So these games as well, you could still lose them, and still they're still good to, oh, you played a better schedule than looking at what some schools do where you're playing like not to make light of what air force does but armies when army's not good or navies they're good they'll always play an fcs team and whatever mid-level team you're not going to see schedules where your schedules to get in with the loss would say you're playing adam state um toledo tulsa and smu for non-conference that's not going to get you at loss but if you're playing even a bad Oregon State team like they were last year, or look what, again, losing teams in big conferences, this plays effect because last year Boise could have had a conference loss and still gotten in had they uh, ended up beating Air Force at the end of the year. 
Yeah, and I mean, speaking of Boise, I think with all of these games being scheduled, if you're looking for a team to emulate, they're probably it. Because I mean, obviously, we'll talk more about them in depth in the coming months, you know, over you know, team by team previews. But I mean, next year they have Troy, who won ten games. You know, they go to Washington State, and then they have a home date versus Virginia. You know, fine, whatever. And then they're at BYU. And if you're a team that's looking to make an impact, to be a real, you know, contender for that group of five spot, you want to phase out those FCS games, I think. I think you oh, want... Oh, 100% sure, yes. You want to take a chance with those games versus Troy or, you know, going to UConn or having a home on... Middle Tennessee State or something. Yeah, versus Marshall, which they have coming up in a few years. So this is, I think, one step in that process of really kind of rethinking how they construct their non-conference schedules. That's what you want to do. Like, I've said it for... Who knows how long I've said it, man. I've said it for years. Like, would I rewind and listen five minutes, two minutes ago? Play Indiana. Play um, bad teams. Play Vanderbilt. Play Georgia when not good. Play Georgia Tech. You know what I mean? Like... Those are the games where, like I said, you'll get credit for it. And, yeah, Boise's playing Virginia. That's not very good. They have that long-term deal with uh, BYU, which is very helpful. But play the Sun Belt champ. You know what I mean? Play play, so, play those teams. Play Tulsa. They're a dangerous team with Philip Montgomery. They're probably – they are, in my opinion, a team on the rise. And there's a reason, like, people didn't like my poll at all in my top 25. There's a reason I put Middle Tennessee State at 25. Their quarterback, Brandon Stockstill, is probably going to be one of the best in the country next year and will be a future NFL quarterback. Play teams like that. Like, occasionally, like, you don't want to overload your schedule by playing the top teams, but don't play FCS teams. And there's a balance. Like, at University of Utah, their point in scheduling is, like, A, B, and C games. And there's some argument because whatever BYU fits things are always the issues there, but they're in the Pac-12, and they only have three games, non-conference games. So they'll play, like, Fresno, or I should pull it up here if they have, like, the past couple years. They'll play it. They play the Mountain West team. They they don't play Utah State every year anymore. But here's, like, kind of what they've been doing the past little while. Because this is a – I think they have a pretty solid model. Like, they do play an FCS team, which they don't like. But you're in a Pac-12, so it's like there's a little bit of off balance. Like, this year, North Dakota, whatever. BYU-San Jose State. Not amazing, but BYU go to a bowl game probably. They have – they go – this is the most craziest thing ever. Twenty, I'm going off topic here, but 2018, they go to Northern Illinois University of Utah. Does. <laughs> they have NIU, BYU, Weber State. The year after, BYU, NIU, Idaho State, San Diego State, BYU, Weber. So it's like they're playing decent. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can see where there's a, a, a hierarchy within their scheduling. Nothing amazing, but they're playing solid teams. So like if if you're a Boise, Fresno, San Diego State, and you're playing. Uh, like say you play like NIU, Indiana, and SMU. That's fine. That's not bad. Or then, then you added one or more, and say you play like um, Cal or something. That's what you need, I think. So we'll talk obviously more schedule, more stuff like that. Really quick, San Diego State. Actually, I didn't realize this. I saw this headline. I'm like, I thought they already had a defensive coordinator. Coordinator, but I guess that was Rocky Long's doing. Yeah, Rocky <laughs> Long's been calling plays all these years, hasn't he? Yeah, he's getting older. So really quick, they promoted safeties coach Danny Gonzalez to D.C. to allow Rocky Long to, what, take naps in the afternoon maybe now? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying he's getting up there at age. That that was that was Jeremy's crack, not mine. <laughs> I'm just saying. it's it, 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 makes, no, it makes sense because head coach and being D.C., it can be difficult. I wonder if oh, he's yeah, going so, to be like the San Diego State Jimbo Fisher in a year or two. Or, you know, maybe by the end of Rocky Long's contract extension, perhaps. Maybe, because he's, what's he there for? His extension was through 2021, I think it was. I believe so, yes. Yeah, so get some more responsibilities. He's been there for about four years, and he's also only 40, so not fairly young in the coaching game. He will call, he'll game plan and call plays this spring. However, Long will be doing uh, plays and signals during the season. So, Long's still calling the shots, but this guy's basically... I'm assuming creating the scheme and Long's like, okay, this is good, and we're going to run this play, this play, this play. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's a good move considering what he's done with the safeties in the last few years. Like they've Devontae Casey, yeah, yeah. Like you know, the safeties in the corners have basically been the best part of this team for like two or three years running. So good for good for Danny Gonzalez. 
and most likely a few extra bucks. I'm hoping. Yeah. Safeties to DC. All right. Should we? I think we should. Okay. Really quick. More Aztec stuff. Um, are they gonna have to play in a dirt field in a couple years? Would it, would that be the worst thing in the world, though? <laughs> I don't know. There's a million things going on. Like there's a soccer city thing. F- the FS investors. There's potential somehow talk about Petco, which I was under- understanding that was not a possibility for how the configuration could set up. But there's like they're like playing chicken. Um, Jim Sturk is and everything. The um, he's AD right still. No, no, sorry, that's the old one. W- Wicker, sorry, JD Wicker. I don't know if they're playing chicken or what, but there's no. We know there's very little room on campus. But what they're trying to do is kind of develop the eastern portion of Mission Valley, kind of where Qualcomm sits in the parking lot. So it'd still be off campus, but I don't know what they're gonna do because the city's not doing great financially, and I don't know what they're gonna do. It's like they've been like, oh great, they're gonna play in the stadium with, with the potential MLS team, which. They seem it's going to happen, but that's not official yet either. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the smart move, though, because you don't want to rush into a deal that's not the best deal you can get, especially when you consider that as a, as a, as a whole program, San Diego State is, I mean, you can't make the argument that they're not on the rise. So it'll be interesting to see, especially if they keep winning in the next couple of years. Like if they bring home another Mountain West championship or two, which is not outside the realm of possibility, does that create more incentive to get them a future home? I mean, I don't think that, you know, going somewhere temporary is the worst thing in the world. If at the end of the rainbow, you're still getting, you know, a nice new home like you would at Colorado State or, you know, something like that. And I mean, if worse comes to worse, they can always, you know, share with the Chargers again up in Carson. <laughs> here's here's kind of what's going on. So the target date, Qualcomm is expected to close in 2018 because without the Chargers, there's what's that? 10 deaths, 10 home games. We count preseason, 10 events, and then what, six or seven events for Aztecs. There's not many things that go on there. I'm assuming there's maybe some concerts or rugby games or demolition derby stuff they, that gets put on there like x game style stuff but not many things so it's supposed to close in 2018 partly because of debt which you don't need to tell us about publicly funded stadiums and how terrible they are don't do but, it <laughs> don't, go go search john oliver public funded stadiums or ask my family in houston who's still playing paying for the astrodome <laughs> go just run a google search for field of schemes that's what you do there you go Go look at that. About to do that later. But right now, the Soccer City plan is to have a completion by spring 2020. And like I said, there's a there's a gap in there, obviously. Pod, like I said, Petco, I thought it was only set up for... I know there's been basketball there. <laughs> that at The Aztecs-Terreros game a couple years ago. They could play in Petco in 19, but there's conflicts with baseball. Obviously, with the Chargers, or not Chargers, in September, October... Well, playoff pending, obviously, but month of September, you could have the diamond on the field like in Oakland, which is a mess, which could be coming to an end because the Raiders are apparently going to Vegas. But I think what the soccer thing they don't like is that it's a max of 30,000. And that's a fair argument. I mean, but the whole baseball thing, though, is not necessarily a death sentence. I mean, you look across back at the East Coast, there are teams scheduling football games at like Fenway or something like that, aren't there? Like, didn't Boston College read one of their games to be UMass? A- yeah. <laughs> there is the no. It was UMass who. This is the. I should look it up, but I think I remember offhand. UMass has a U Hawaii. UMass almost played in Fenway, but like UMass, UMass wanted the game with Boston College, like some sort of home and home. And BC got BC got screwed so bad by not accepting that because they are playing in their hometown as their own team. And not getting money to play there, essentially. <laughs> yeah, so it's I mean, like the triple threat. I, it's it, part of it because well, there's fields across the country that are configured for both. Like, didn't Wrigley Field they had to play when Northwestern played somebody? They had to go one way the whole game, no matter what. Yes, they so did. if you punted down the field, you try for a touchdown, but they'd flip the field to go. And Petco, like these are all baseball specific, so seating is terrible. If you look at Marlins Park for that bowl game last year. You could have front row seats, but you're still 40 yards away. Oh, yeah. 
So I, and that's why I think, you know, winning is going to incentivize getting a deal done, which I think in the next couple of years is the most likely scenario. That's kind of how I see it. And, and like, um, AD was on like 1090 down there, which is a good, follow them on Twitter. They do good stuff. If you want any Aztecs news or listen, I've been doing that a bit much, but they're basically until then they're just kind of waiting or not waiting, but listening to all, all offers. Well, it's the only offer I see on the table for my research. Maybe I'm wrong because there's a ton of going on. Is the sharing the stadium? San Diego State doesn't have money to buy pay for their own stadium. You would think. I know raising student fees is not the best idea, but sometimes if they, if they, I don't know if they get in for free, like some not free, but you know what I mean. You scan your card, you get in, but you pay semester fees, hundred bucks, whatever it may be. Fresno's was pretty high if I remember looking at it, but that. I don't know what the what the deal is. It's, I think part of it now. The, the thing is though, which is odd to me, like the they seem the MLS thing is like a hundred percent certain, but it's not. Why would they build? You know what I mean? Like that's a weird thing to do. We're going to build a soccer stadium for a team that may not be here. And so I I, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it's they're talking about like down here maybe play. Petco longer. They could play their mountain schedules later in the year, home games after baseball, but it's risky to not say we're going to go in and help out because if they go with the soccer team, the cost should be split. And the talk has been about like, I think the MLS stadium is going to be funded by the potential owners, the FS investors, if I'm correct. And then San Diego state would pay the rest, which for that size of a stadium wouldn't be that much money. And you wouldn't really have to raise fees. You could fundraise and get most of it that way. So, I, it's just a, there's a lot going on. So keep an eye on that just because that's going to be crazy down the road. I think. Is it combine time? Do we need to get to NFL stuff apparently? So if you cared about the underwear Olympics, you may have watched the, and <laughs> in the background, the combine on NFL network. How much did you watch of this thing? Did you watch any of it? Did you care? I think in First... 30 seconds of it on a TV and passing. <laughs> I don't think I watched it at all. Even yeah, I think I watched most on Twitter if I saw anything, because there it's just it's background noise. You know what I mean? It's like it's there just because. I did see John and, Ross run that forty-yard dash. He didn't get the island though because he wore Nikes. That's true. <laughs> Somebody should just buy him an island anyway for being that fast. Nikes? No kidding. What four two two? Whatever it was. He's a he's a speedster. But here, okay, Donald Pump. We'll go through a couple of guys. He had the fourth fastest time out of all running backs which is great um what did he run a four four nine what was it wasn't that it or something uh according to nfl.com it's a four four eight four four eight okay that's great and all that proves he's fast a lot of these times when you're at the combine like if you look at who's the top like john ross he might be this great wide receiver down the road nfl maybe maybe not who knows his speed will move him up a few, a little bit in the draft, or could be a lot, depending on what his talent was before. But like, if you go back and look at who the top, the fastest guys are, they're typically not guys who have ten years career, ten year pro career, five time All Pro or Pro Bowl or Super Bowl champion. They're not guys typically not. So usually at the combine, you're solidifying your spot. And Pumphrey ran fast enough, which is good for a size. That's great. He did compare himself to. Um, Darren Sproles, because he's had return experience, so that'll be a big deal for his size. But usually if you hit the combine, if it's if you go fast, it's great, but it's not gonna help you a lot. It hurts you more if you run slow. Like if he ran a four, five, seven, he like could be like a six round pick at best. Yeah. I mean, what it reminds me of what you're talking about is the idea of the speed score. Are you familiar with that at all? I don't think so. So the general idea, for those of you who may not know, it's a concept that was created by football outsiders at first. And Nerds. Really, it, yeah, maybe. But the idea... That's fine. Is, no, that's fine. <laughs> the idea is that you would expect a small guy generally to run faster. And that what really stands out and what really that accounts for a lot within the idea of the speed score, and maybe we can put a link to this in the article, is not only the guys who are small and fast, but the guys who are big and fast too, which is what makes the difference between, for example, Donnell Pumphrey running a four four eight and Jeremy Nickel Jeremy McNichols running a four four nine, because once you take their weight into account, 
according to Football Outsiders, they had Donnell Pumphrey listed at 176, and they had McNichols listed at 214. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Pumphrey's actually up to like 185 now, I believe, or something around there. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going but off. But still, of there's that. a 35, yeah, 35 pound difference. That's a big deal. And that difference led to a speed score difference of almost 20 points. Like McNichols ended up with the fourth best score out of any running back in the combine. And it, I think it's, I think it's if, a good point. And I think if anything, that's going to help his stock in the long run, especially if you know. Do we know if he's rehabilitating to go for pro day, or is he going to be skipping that at all? I have not seen what he's doing at pro day because it's good, most likely with Boise starting spring now. It's probably going to be the. Uh, they started a couple of days ago. They're pro- I think they're pro day. I think it's announced, but I want to say first April 1st, actually, I think it is. Because usually it's yeah. about a month. It's usually right around your spring game, and usually that's about a month for spring practice, and they just started. So I'd say late April, late March, earliest, probably first couple of days in April. Yeah, so I mean, and then on the on the other hand, you know, not only McNichols and Pumphrey, but, you know, let's not forget about Brian Hill. Yeah. who actually was the other Mountain West running back to crack 100 on speed score. He ended up, I think, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. He was 8th in speed score. And he went, at and he went a 4, 5, 4. And he ran a 4, 5, 4 at 219 pounds. And so that mm-hmm. is the kind of thing, that combination of not only speed but size, that I imagine in the weeks to come, and especially if he runs that again at the pro day up in Laramie, that's the kind of thing that's going to sit up and make teams pay attention. Do you ever look at WalterFootball.com? Only occasionally. If their website was designed better, I'd do more often, but they basically draft stuff 24-7, all, like, every six second of every day. They're a good place if you want to see where teams are meeting. They update that pretty well. But, like, they put McNichol 7, they have Hill 8, they, put, they don't even have Pumphrey until... Or do they even have him ranked? Shoot, I didn't look that far. But they're they're a good. Um, oh, they use the old Aztec logo. I didn't see it. Didn't see it. The little um, dude, the the guy in the uh, the bird. Is that what that is? The Aztec thing. The helmet thing. <laughs> well, it's kind of like the bird thing. But yeah, they have eighteen. Yeah. But they, which is fine. But I don't. We'll talk about like draft rankings and stuff later. But I just noticed that like I haven't seen McNichols that high, like a seventh top ten pick or top ten back. It wouldn't surprise me if he were the kind of running back who slips to maybe the fourth or fifth round and then finds a way to contribute in a year or two, like um, like JHIE without the health issues, or Kenneth yeah. Dixon, who kind of came on late for the Ravens last year. Those guys who, who showed themselves to be playmakers on the college level slipped for reasons and have think... ended up relatively successful anyway. I'm wondering if McNichols might, because they haven't projected two to three round pick, and this running back class is super deep. So, like you have Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, you have all these good running backs. Uh, depending what you personal feeling decide about Joe Mixon, he's a pretty good talent. So we'll see how that affects him. But there's a lot of good backs in this league. Like you have, like people like Curtis Samuel of Ohio State, Dante Freeman at Foreman of Texas. You have a lot of guys. And I guess Alvin uh, Kamara stepping up pretty big for UT. Or Mc- Obviously, Christian McCaffrey just tore it up at the Combine. There's a lot of backs, but I'm wondering about Boise State because their last two starting running backs have had basically all pro seasons. Doug Martin has played pretty well. He has the suspension coming up with uh, some sort of substance abuse or PED or something along those lines. Some what I, I don't know remember what it was, but he's a four-game suspension looming. Ajayi had multiple 200-yard rushing games for the Dolphins despite that bone-on-bone knee thing, which why I went to a fifth-round pick. I'm wondering, because pedigree matters. Like, oh, you play in the system. They produce this type of player. Not to say he'll <clears throat> excuse me, he'll start day one, but I think he could start contribute sooner than later. Plus, he blocks reasonably well in the backfield. He catches the ball out of the backfield. He's a guy where it's like Tyler Urban, who's now with the Texans, former Spartan running back. Yes, if you saw him with San Jose State, he'd bust off 25, 35, 40-yard runs all the time. But he plays special teams, return kicks as well. He catches the ball. McNichols is sort of like that, and I think that'll get him more playing time earlier than later. But as of right now, I know drafts are ways away. We'll talk about it. Who do you think will be the first running back off the board? Or is it just it's hard to tell because if one team likes it, they'll take you just because they like you. 
I don't think that there's that much difference between the big three, um, Pumphrey, McNichols, and Brian Hill. If I were running an NFL team, though, uh, considering that the way the NFL is moving, I think that I would choose McNichols ahead of both Pumphrey and Hill, which is no disrespect to either of those two. I think that they're both probably going to get drafted within you know, 20, 30 picks of one another. But McNichols has shown himself to be versatile, not only as a runner, but as and as a, but as a pass catcher. And I think that you know when you consider the NFL is more and more a passing league, that's going to matter. Like that's the kind of thing that's still a little bit unknown with Brian Hill. And even though Pumphrey is probably the smallest running back in this year's class, we know that he has that similar kind of versatility as well. A little bit. He had 27 receptions last year, but also special teams. He returned kicks and punts. So Exactly. So I think that versatility is going to serve him well, which is why I think it wouldn't surprise me if they were all pitching in to some extent uh, this time next year. And it's, it's boring to agree, but you're correct because if you look at guys in the NFL, like you're going to, especially if you can play multiple positions, because I remember Sean Alexander tried to make a comeback years ago. Or not come back, but bounce around. He couldn't go anywhere because all he could do is run the ball. He pass blocked okay, can't catch. And this could be the case, like, Adrian Peterson, I don't have his stats in front of me besides him being a monster runner. He's not going to be back with the Vikings. He's going to find a team for sure, looking at, like, Raiders or Seahawks perhaps. But off the top of my head, I don't think he's not the most, like, guy who catches the ball out of the backfield. Am I correct on that? So, like, if there's in a couple years, he he's – Go slows down in production just because getting up there in age and the issues he's had, multiple sur- multiple surgeries. A teams may not want him or pay him very little because all he can do is run the ball on first and second down. You're not going to be in the field on third down to catch the ball. You're not. You don't want to block because you're Adrian Peterson. You know what I mean? Your knee issues, and so he may not find a team. And that's where McNichols comes in if you can take three guys' spots. But then again. If you look at certain teams, like didn't Le'Veon Bell had a ton of carries for the Steelers last year, and so Brian Hill's a big guy. Where if he goes to a team that wants to pound the ball and run it a lot, there is a fit there. But I think, like I said, way the NFL's going or has been going, McNichols is the guy to be under who's going to be taken earlier than later because he can do more things. And if you can replace three guys in the roster, like with Pumphrey, if you can return kicks and catch the ball. Yeah, you might not see Brian Hill or not no, Pumphrey on third down the pass block, but they he could be a guy who they swing out to the side and pass it to him on a swing pass on third and four. Get you a running back who can do both. Yeah, and McNichols and Pumphrey and then Hill. Hill could be the best runner out of the group, you know what I mean, just by pure running. But as for what teams want, and Hill met with the Broncos, which is interesting because they just drafted Devontae Booker from Utah last year. And they still have C.J. Anderson. So I don't know if he'll go there or they just uh, they met with them. So teams meet with everybody. But should we get to my egg on the face moment of the show? Yeah, let's do it. That's always fun. Jalen Robinette. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so I make comparisons off the fly and I'm usually wrong half the time. Okay. Do you remember what I said or should I say it? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You might as well remind me and the listeners. Something about Calvin Johnson, the way he can catch the ball. Megatron. I do remember <laughs> that. I will, so, I will stand by that Robinette catches nearly anything that comes his way. Is that fair to say? I, we know that he has an ability to make a tough catch or a contested okay. catch. Yes, that is fair to say. I didn't know how fast he went. Didn't he go a 4-3 tweeted at me? Hey, Watch this combine run from Calvin Johnson. Yeah, Wasn't it like something ridiculous like that? Yeah, Calvin Johnson was a physical freak. Jalen Robinette has his skills. Like if you go to mock draftable, we may talk about this in a minute, but like he's, you know, in the 80th percentile plus in height, weight, you know, hand size. He's in the 99th percentile. 40-yard dash though. He ran a 462, which... Uh. You know, not a death sentence by any stretch, but it's huge. Maybe we can cool it on the, on the Calvin Johnson comparison. Oh, well, I, I always think off the fly, just thinking the way he makes catches, like he his reach and size a little bit is similar. But Johnson went a uh, four three five to combine. Yeah, and Johnson did have two inches on him, but not that much more weight, like ten pounds or so, twelve pounds. 
But I'm just, I, I was off the fly and it probably it was in, in, mostly inaccurate. I'll say that, but I'll stand by. He can catch nearly any – throw it to him, he'll catch it almost. That's fair. 6'3", six, six, 220. How big is Des Bryant? Is he that size? I believe so. And you know, he's he's Same. about as he's a little bigger than Devonte Adams was. And Devonte Adams had a reputation mm-hmm. coming out of Fresno State as a guy who could like make a tough catch as well. Mm-hmm. He's doing pretty good things with the Packers there. He's yeah, Br- Bryant six, six two. And so I I know it's off the fly. I have anything in front of me, but I'm just going by catch ability speed. I don't know what the force four. four sorry, I got Brian Hill's numbers here. Four six two probably not ideal, but we also knew. The reason he got down the field more, more often was because safety's sucking up and he has good, um, like, move, like, uh, not stupid to say moves, but, like, he, he makes good cuts or good fakes to get defenders to bite on him. Yeah. And so he he did fine. They, NFL.com cares, compares him to Cody Latimer. And I think people have cooled off because there's a couple mock drafts had him going to the Chiefs in the second round. I think it was Fox Sports, and I think SI had him going in the third round, like, at the first mountainless player off the board. Yeah. It only takes one team, but sorry about that, folks. You can laugh at me if you want. <laughs> I don't think that that's necessarily the end of the road for him or anything like that. No. What's interesting to me is when you take the things that you read on Twitter or that you see on the NFL Network as they're you know, covering the combine and stuff like that, and the picture that you get from a site like Mock Draftable, because sometimes they're like two totally different things. There was one. Oh, I forget who it was. There was oh shoot, I don't remember the players, so it's not going to be too relevant. But they put a they used something from Mock Draftable. You should check out the site. You can compare. I think I put on one of our website on one of our posts. Kind of like it's like this. It's like a spider thing. It's like if you ever play FIFA or Madden, and you're going to sub a guy out or something, they kind of say, "Oh, he's good at passing or attacking." Or it's just a spider graph kind of where you're like a was it octagon? I believe whatever shape it is. But they kind of ten or twelve data points. Yeah. Yeah, and they just kind of compare it to like the spider web, essentially, where they're pulled well out here for this, or pulled in way for here, pulled in close to this to see how. Obviously, the more co- more ground you cover, the better you're considered in that particular category. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember the player; it doesn't matter. But hey, they're like player A reminds me of player B. Player B, really good NFL player. So somebody pulls this this tool out. Um, not so fast. The guy at the combine had like a very small section. The other guy had like covered the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and that's where if you look at mock draftable at a guy like Jalen Robinette, like there really is no one that's like him or like what he did in Indianapolis. Some of the names on the list of comps are really interesting, though. Like in among the top five are you know Riley Cooper, Hakeem Nix, and Jordy Nelson. And number one. Juju Smith-Schuster, who's apparently supposed to be a stud at the NFL level. But but on the flip side, you know, those are his top five comparisons for combine results. But, you know, Smith-Schuster only matched him at 76%. So, it's like I said, it's really interesting to see what picture you get from these measurements, which are basically just cold, hard numbers. And, you know, what he does when it comes to, you know, running routes or, you know, reacting or being able to make a tough catch, which aren't really things that you can measure in quite the same way. And, you know, what will be interesting to see is how, you know, the pundits decide to kind of marry those two pictures going forward. I do appreciate the uh, comparison to DeAndre Hopkins. That too. (laughs) So if you click on ball skill... Like, I guess, it, what does that mean? I guess, because um, they go wide receiver. I said it's ball carriers on that okay. list. Is and that then, correct? And then all skill positions. Okay. Okay. I'm I sorry. I'm just pull, messing around on there. But it's, uh, you still, you could get lost, sucked into this very quickly on this. Oh, also one thing. Um, can we give a, do you think um, Donald Puffer's agent listens to our podcast at all? Probably not. Okay. Can we advise him to not allow a guy who weighs 185 pounds not do the bench press where he's lifting more than his body weight. That is a little weird. <laughs> Did you see the number he put up? Do you know what that was? It was do you know that at all? Yeah, Cinco. To his credit, though. I don't understand why. Yeah. To his credit, that is more than I could do. Me too. And my also for me, not that I'm ever super strong, but I'm 6'4", so, and I have super long arms. 
if you have long arms, bench press is nearly impossible. Like I, okay, this may make me sound like the weakest person ever, not very strong at all. But when I was in college, I was on a water polo team, and so in very good shape for what I'm doing, more aerobic stuff. And, and my position, I wrestled, and you fight in the water and do things. We would part of our tray, obviously lift weights. I literally, if you put like 80 pounds, I could barely do it because how long my arms are 100 pounds. Very difficult to do multiple ones because how far I could go from chest to lock arm. I wasn't like, I'm not just makes me sound like I'm a puny guy who can't do 80 pounds. You know what I mean? But that just shows you if you're lifting your arms that big, like offensive linemen here, like six, eight, I think I don't mention names. Cause I don't recall, but like guys who I knew who played in college or went through this process, they could do enough, but like guys who are just lanky, very difficult to do the bench press more than, a handful of times compared to some people. Some guys are just freaks and can do it because how big they are, but just how my arm and length size, I couldn't do it very well or not do much weight at all. So Pumphrey, I, Grady did it. I couldn't do it, but it's just, it's true. If you have super long arms, it's very difficult. Like I could curl and do other things very, quite a bit amount from compared to my size, but bench press, there's guys that are six, six foot five, eight who could do better than I could at sometimes. So then let me ask you this. Does does the DeAnthony Thomas comp do anything for you? Who's he with right now? Is he still in Kansas City? It, he went to Oregon, correct? Yes, he did. He was one of those guys that got a lot of hype because he was you know small, but he was also fast. You know, do you mean toward Pumphrey, or we're talking about compared to Pumphrey, we're right? About DeAnthony Thomas. But well, with, I mean, but compared to, compared to who? Or just him in general. As a comparison for Denal Pumphrey, because he's one of those guys that's listed, you know, he's fifth on Pumphrey's own list. And I feel like he is the most interesting comparison on Pumphrey's particular list because I feel like they both had similar hype coming out of college and Thomas never really panned out for all of his speed. Wasn't he a track star as well at Oregon? I want to say. I, I believe so. Yes. Or is that Lashawn Michael? He transferred, but I, a little bit. But like you see guys like Deion Lewis too, or the Michael James. They're on that same list for Pumphrey for halfbacks. Yeah. A little bit. Like he mentioned himself. Simple answer: Darren Sproles, just because the small size and stuff. But you also have Ronnie Hillman on the list too because they're smaller. It. With Pumphrey, he's going to be a guy where he needs to go to the right team, obviously. I, we, we were going to talk more spring, but this may be a two-part show here because we got to wrap this up soon. Or maybe we'll figure something else later. But with Pumphrey, it's, he's not going to be the main back probably ever. Like, if he goes to Baltimore, him and Kenneth Dixon, that would be great. If he were to go to the Texans, you have Lamar Miller um, and um, Irvin from San Jose State. He could even go to Miami and sit. I forget who the other back is besides uh, Jay Ajayi. Fine. He can go to the Raiders. Don't the Raiders have multiple backs uh, out there? They, I believe they still have Latavius. I think, I think he's hurt partially. But going to a team like that where there's not a – or even going to the Vikings where there's open competition now essentially, he would need to go to a team where he may – at least down the road, may not be a starter but could get 20 touches a game for a pump, kick return, running, and receiving. I don't think he's ever going to be a starting running back for an NFL team. Like, you're the guy, 28 carries a game, like he did with San Diego State. He, he's proven to do that, which is helpful, but I just don't think he's that guy. I guess we'll see. We'll see. So let's kind of move on. Should we um, – do, do uh, I don't know. Nico Saragusa did okay. Um, Chase Roulette did all right. We'll get to these guys later because they're linemen. And really, do you care about linemen too much? Hey, linemen are important. I had to watch the 49ers a little bit last year. Hey, who's your quarterback? <laughs> you don't have one. Kirk Cousins, Sorry. apparently. <laughs> no, Tony Romo's being waived, so there's no three-way trade anymore. Yeah, who even knows? <laughs> I just thought because John Lynch is like, well, it's fine, we're good. We don't, we're, we, it's it's a fresh a breath of fresh air now I'm your quarterback. Um, when do um, OTA start again for your team after the draft? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was too easy. Too soon. Very soon. So okay. So, so one, one, what do you got? One more though, if we can. For sure. Demonte Casey. 
because I feel like if you look at his comparisons on mock draftable versus what you were hearing, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that, because Casey was getting like rave reviews for a lot of the drills that he was doing. But if you look at the comparisons physically for how, you know, measured up with height, weight and all that stuff, there is not a single person on here besides maybe Mackenzie Alexander that is the, that is someone you could consider a success story at the next level. Yeah, I'm looking at these names. I'm like, who is this? Who are these people? Okay, Daxton. So all these guys are like FCS guys or smaller guys. You got Southeast Louisiana, Todd Washington, Daxton Swanson, Jaron Holsley from Virginia Tech, Corn Elder. Good name, by the way. I. I don't know any of these guys. Cameron Sutton, I think I may have heard of a little bit. Maybe. maybe well, he's... Oh, I guess no, he's this year right now. Sorry, this year, yeah. So maybe that's why. But, like, there's nobody. And this is clicking on the DB list. Mm-hmm. CB list, same thing. What, what does that tell you? Is that good or not good? And that's what's going to be really interesting to see because, <laughs> you know, physically the list isn't really that great, but you were hearing the exact opposite thing in you know, his ability to react and stuff like that, which is not one of those things that's measured in these, you know, in the 40-yard dash or something like that. I'm thinking, you know, it may not necessarily be fair, but he's probably going to need another great pro day because, you know, this is a draft class that's also deep at cornerback. And if he wants to separate himself as being like a day two pick, he's probably going to need it. I've seen him projected late third round, so it's a top 100 pick. Yeah. All right, so let's get to some spring stuff. We need a rapid fire here because I got a jet shortly. But Utah State, I'm glad um, Salt Lake Tribune has a now full-time reporter, it looks like. Go check out Lynn Worthy to see what they're up to. They've been doing a lot of stuff, not just random things. So, really quick, Aggies have a new offensive coordinator. Spent the past 12 years at Missouri. So, apparently, they're going to fast-paced, up-tempo. That's fair. They're going, like, here's from Kent Myers, who's going to be the starting QB, obviously. He says it's completely different. Um, we do some under the do gun, huddle, muddle huddle, which I'm assuming is is that where you line up quickly and then wait for the play call to come in, I'm assuming. I believe so. Or he says kind of slowing it down, picking it up, so maybe that's it. Establishing the run, but who's going to be the running back? It just seems like it's it's kind of like all over, all over the board. I don't know Missouri football too much. I do know they had a game where they didn't score many points very often last year. Last few years. <laughs> But they got to try something different because the past couple of years, it's been an issue. But it's been an issue. But Matt Wells is like it's fast paced, fast practice. Just it's a brand new offense, so I'm wondering how long it'll take. But it just seems like they want to go, 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 and that could be fine for what Kent Myers does for him, creating mismatches, especially with him in the running game. Because Aggies last year loved the 12 and scoring offense and total offense as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think it kind of makes sense for the talent that's returning, you know, because, you know, Tony Lindsay's going to be a senior. He's probably going to be the guy at running back. But when you look at the, you know, the other guys coming back at receiver, especially, you know, Rashad Lewis is probably going to improve from year one to year two. Ron Quavian Tarver is also going to be coming back. And even further down the depth chart, you're looking at guys like, you know, Zach Van Leeuwen, who will probably get a long look, you know, even maybe redshirt freshman like Chad Artist. Or, you know, Alex Byers, maybe he steps up and finally gets into the receiver rotation. And I think that tempo probably works best for Kent Myers himself. Because, like, we know that he's a fairly good quarterback, especially when he gets time, which he didn't always have last year. I think he's more accurate than he showed himself to be last year. So even if they aren't necessarily a throw-the-ball-down-the-field kind of offense... If they're the kind of offense that can spread that can spread defenses out and then also allow Myers to use his legs a little more often, because I mean, let's not forget, even when the running game was stagnant last year, he was more or less their best runner all year long. You know, he Speaking averaged... of that, really quick. Yeah. They mentioned. I'm sorry. I'm just going through like our guy Keith did a bunch of running back stuff for. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong team. Go ahead. I apologize. I was looking at UNLV for some reason. I'm like, I'm going to interject here with something smart. No, I'm not. And I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that those changes too will help them be a little a little more lucky as far as you know turning the ball over. Because if you look at 
you know, they were minus five, but if you go to their advanced stat profile on football study hall, they would have been dead last as far as expected turnover margin in the entire nation. And I mean, a lot of that comes down to the fact that, for instance, Myers had eight fumbles and lost only two of them. So if this and, new and offense... I think as well... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, if this new offense enables him to be a little more careful with the ball, I think in the long run that'll be really beneficial for this offense because they're really looking to rebound. Yeah, because if they can run well, that helps Kent Myers as well with his running ability. Helps play action, helps bootlegs, help roll out. So, and if they're going to go faster and go under center see a mismatch right away and just hold it so you can't sub, that's perfectly fine to do. So yeah. since I inadvertently mentioned you and OV, let's go to them. Um, actually, no, let's go to San Diego State real quick. Okay. Um, quarter Because we're going to have a fun show next week because former Aztec Ryan Lindley is back with them helping because there's a rule, alumni can it's a the official rule says occasionally i don't know what that means sometimes half the time put a number on it and see ncaa needs to put a number on or do something but we know they're not the brightest bunch those guys in charge but take a look at what alabama's doing and then you know yeah divide that by like two-fifths because alabama's <laughs> that's why they probably won't get in trouble that's like that's why i compared it to you because they had um somebody come in to help mimic uh, deshaun watson before the title game so they bring back Lindley because Christian Chapman has a thumb injury from the Vegas Bowl. They're keeping it cool. Ryan Agnew's never started. He's taking most of first-team reps. They have a former high school QB, now punter, um, doing that, uh, taking snaps. But you see Rocky Long mention the quarterback competition, possibly? <laughs> I mean, I We'll see like how Agnew does, but there could be a competition if he performs well in spring. <laughs> A lot of that has got to be just, you know, coach speak, doesn't it? Has it? To be. All right, Lou Holtz. <laughs> it is. It's just ridiculous. It's like, okay, here's the thing why I have to believe it a little bit. Mike Mike Bobo did it to me last year. I'm like, there's no way it's not Nick Stevens. No way it's not Nick Stevens. Camp. Three-way battle for quarterback. Colin Hill gets to start after game one or game two. So I got you got to at least somewhat say, okay, that could happen. Yeah, I guess that's true. All right, let's do UNLV really quick because I really got a jet in a moment here. Their quarterback situation, they have um, Johnny um, – no, crap. They had a player – who transferred last year? Their quarterback. Um, they still have Johnny, Johnny Stanton back. No, whatever. They have three quarterbacks going on right now. People are in love. I'm not kidding. They want one quarterback to um, be the guy. He's, Armani. I believe he's their highest – Armani Jones watch, who's apparently the uh, – Biggest thing to hit UNLV since Randall Cunningham. <laughs> Biggest thing to hit UNLV since uh, Billy Idol. Ever. Or, or the best thing since Dave Rose got fired. Or Dave Rice got fired. I went Could there. Be. I went basketball. <laughs> so there's a three. I'm, this web, Our website's not cooperating right now. But they have a three-way battle quarterback. Are they going to go with the young guy just because? That's an interesting question. I mean... I think by this point, we kind of know who both Stanton and Palandek are, right? You know, Palandek is, you know, we know that he's capable as a runner, but he's a little bit scattershot as a passer. And Stanton may not quite be as accurate as we expected him to be. Like, he may have a big arm, but he may not know what to do with it. And when you consider that this is a team that took a lot of lumps you know, at the Dalton right Sneed who transferred that to us. Sorry, Dalton Sneed. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I'm well, like, we, I know the name. It's on the tip of my tongue. He made that big play versus. Uh, what, okay, but yeah, he's out. But I mean, it may kind of make sense when you consider like the running game behind him, and you know they obviously lose a lot on the offensive line this year. But I don't think that that's necessarily as bad as a lot of people might think that it is. Here's what he says right now, Coach uh, Sanchez. I'll be honest with you. As of today, this is a couple days ago, um, first day of spring or second day of spring, both guys are going to play in game one. I think one guy is going to be a starter, and he'll start the majority of the reps. But you're going to see whoever is number two at some point in the first half. <sighs> That's fine. <laughs> I don't like that. I hate it when that happens, though. You know yeah, what I mean? Because I mean, then you got – 
you should be the guy who you should be adamantly against this. Fresno State with the hook with uh, Aaron Roderick calling doing the uh, or Dave Schramm and Roderick doing what they're doing out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think it's quite the same thing though. I think they have. I think they have so. a sense. Of, I think they have a sense of who they are. They're a team that wants to run the ball, and I think that they're a team that probably will be able to with both Lexington Thomas and Charles Williams coming back. Yeah, they'll probably run the ball pretty well. I'm thinking they'll because we have another article. We don't have time because I really need to go in a moment, but we have some stuff on there. Three running backs as well, like Stanton and Paladek already thrown. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong article here. Oh my, can I? Can I get a mulligan here? <laughs> yes, you can. I did a Google search for something, and it was something from last spring about playing two guys. <laughs> uh, guess what? That quote I mentioned probably still stands. Is that fair to say? Yes. Can we say that? I, um, hey, guess what? I was correct on Dalton Sneed, though. Is that, I'm, I got that right. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Can I, I blame my surgery? Can I blame my surgery again on this stuff? Yes, you can. <laughs> okay, so I will that. But it's I'm going to go with Armani Rogers being star. You can see 6'5", 225 already, dual threat, assuming to be the real deal. And here's an actual quote from three days ago. Uh, we have high expectations for Armani, as we do for the other guys. We brought in for our type of style of play. and so Which makes sense. Palandek runs the ball a little bit, but Armani has the edge. So I think we're going to end the show there before I make another major screw-up because I apparently can't Google tonight to find things so and i gotta go we have more we didn't even get to so so you know what was interesting to after our basketball show me yeah tbd we'll do more spring stuff because there's a, like i said there's a ton and we're already an hour plus and it's freaking march whatever um somebody didn't like i didn't say we're biased to get your team at the end of the show last time with me and eli for basketball they apparently missed that we apologize so I, that means people listen to the end that's what i get from that some people do all right, so that's the show for tonight. I really got to get going here because I got to go grab food and uh, go visit my wife at work in a moment to get some stuff done. So mwcconnection.com, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, SoundCloud, any, or no, excuse me, iTunes, SoundCloud is axed. We're done. Sorry the uh, few guys who went that way, but we'll have another show next week. We'll be more prepared because apparently I was terrible tonight at for a good 90 seconds. I was bad, so the rest is okay, but I guess I'll have to say because we're biased to get your team, and we'll see.